and it's time to hate watch with us. Welcome back. Hi. We missed you. <laughs> no, right now would be a really good time for a romantic gesture. Maybe a grand gesture? A grand gesture to let you know how much we love you, our dear listeners. Please accept this rose. <laughs> if you tweet us, we will send you a grand gesture via Twitter. <laughs> At Hate Watch With Us. <laughs> so this week, we are going to be continuing the conversation, or we're going to be continuing my rom-com education, more correctly. So last week, we did the first installment where we covered quintessential rom-coms and foundational rom-coms. So the ones that really built the base for the format, platform, genre. Hey, we made it. (laughs) Words are cool. (laughs) And then we are going to be revisiting everyone's favorite segment, Hate Watch Analog. And this week, we wanted to talk about wedding season because wedding season is upon us. For better or for worse. (laughs) We've got a few survival mechanisms to offer to you all. So our last conversation was interesting for a few reasons. (laughs) I told you that I felt like I had an identity crisis where I was like, am I shallow? Yep. Yep. Kelsey had an existential crisis about whether or not she's vapid. And I had an existential crisis about feminism. So it was a learning experience for us all. It is. And one thing I... Suggested to Kirsty. <laughs> well, I was drawing on when I first watched Jane the Virgin for Pilot Palooza. Look back at episode one, if you don't recall. I didn't buy in all the way, so I it was fine. But I didn't fully, like, just go for the gold. And once I did, I really, really liked the show. And it was just way more fun and goofy and great. So I encouraged to Kirsty to buy in to the rom-com format as much as you have to buy into the telenovela format in Jane the Virgin. So that is my advice. Yeah, I definitely pushed back on that a little bit because I had this, like, I was being, like, a prestige TV asshole, which Jane the Virgin isn't technically prestige TV, but whatever, where I was like, well, but it's different, right? Because the show is self-aware. And so it's using the format to, like, make a point. And then it was like, right. 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 <laughs> That's how use the format works, guys. Right. <laughs> so I did watch, I only got to one of um, one of the shows, or shows, one of the movies on the list, but I did watch it, and I did keep that in the back of my mind, that instead of trying to poke holes in the format, it would be worth my time to take the format at face value and see what the writers were doing within that. I'm excited to hear about your homework assignment. Yeah, I think everyone has a choice genre that, like, they just don't touch. And if you're being honest with yourself, dear listener, you know you feel superior about having set that boundary line. So I would challenge all of you to, like, pick up something from a genre that you don't usually watch and try try to think of it that way. Like, take a step back from the things you hate about the format and try to see how the writers are using all of those tropes to their advantage. This is, like... How I probably owe you an episode of The Bachelor now. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So since you did your homework on 
my formative years, which sounds awkward. <laughs> and not wrong, I guess. <laughs> we can talk about those first. And I kind of made a cluster of movies here that have no real rhyme or reason to them other than they, that they were ones that I particularly enjoyed or watched 10,000 times during my formative years. So the earliest rom-com example of this is not full rom-com, but I think it's close enough, especially when you view it as an older human than a child, <laughs> which is The Parent Trap. And I know I bring this up every episode, so I will be brief, <laughs> but it has a lot of traditional rom-com tropes. When you think about the parent's relationship, the giant conflict is that they had twins and just decided to take <laughs> one for one and split them up and pretend like they weren't twins. And then they find out. <laughs> I do actually know or did know someone in real life. They weren't twins, but there was a brother and a sister and the parents got divorced and they each kept a kid. But did they keep the identity of their other child from the other child? No, the kids were teenagers when that happened, but I'm not convinced it's any less weird. No, you're right. You're right. Sorry to those of you out there in unconventional family structures. It's not about you. I'm more just concerned about like the what that does to you as a human and how they just don't show it in the parent trap in a realistic way. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless yeah. of the trauma... <laughs> What's a little developmental trauma between friends? Right. I mean, there's a few other conflicts, but they have a reunion type meet cute in an elevator where they see each other. And as the door closes, he like falls across the door opening and it's, <laughs> it's real great. They have a happily ever after. It's really great. I will stop myself here. But <laughs> so that's my earliest example of a rom-com that has been really important in my whole life. Moving on a few years into the future from that moment, one of the first, like, rom-com rom-coms with Julia Roberts-type rom-coms <laughs> that I ever saw was Notting Hill, which is not arguably a great movie, but <laughs> is a movie. It also has Hugh Grant, so it's the whole package. It is very quaint. It takes place in England. Julia Roberts is an American actress, so it's a huge jump from what you would expect, I'm sure. <laughs> Hugh Grant owns a bookstore. Another literary character. Oh, yeah. He's always literary. So they do their thing. She, like, shows up at his bookstore. They There's all this stuff, and then there's all these things about her being famous that gets in the way. There is, of course, a very traditional happy ending. This is like the one that they always, there's a lot of jokes about it, mocking the line, where she's like, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This is where my knowledge is helpful for you. Yeah. So that's like the big line in that movie. That's like the, I guess, grand, grand gesture. Yeah. Maybe. Wait. Side note, because that just reminded me, I was watching Clueless for the first time ever. Yeah. Because I'm trying to catch up on a lot of pop culture in a very short amount of time. And there's a scene where Cher and one of the other girls that she's friends with have a movie on in the background. And so the camera starts by looking at the TV screen and there's like a rando on the screen that says, we don't have anything here for you. And I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar. And then the shot on the TV screen changes to Julia Roberts. And I was like, pretty woman, I'm here. I'm ready. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. Look at that intertextuality. <laughs> it's a buzzword I learned a lot about today in relation to rom-coms because I did research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a buzzword I had actively blocked out of my memory from our Yeah, me too. 
So other movies in the European spectrum. Love Actually, I think everyone who is born around the late 80s and early 90s has had a brief moment, maybe not you, but a lot of people, where they thought Love (laughs) Actually was a good movie for a hot second when it first came out, and then (laughs) they realized that it's actually a really, really, really terrible movie. (laughs) I'm the only millennial on this earth who has never seen Love Actually. And you're not missing anything. You know the thing with the signs, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is another one where, thanks to intertextuality, I have a lot of cultural references to hold on to. And last year, BuzzFeed covered it pretty heavily at Christmas time, including like a play-by-play article. So I got like the written recap. That's all. You, that's more than you need, really. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first of the like ensemble intertwining stories rom-coms, which have become that was a thing that had a moment. Yeah. So there was like a Valentine's Day one and a New Year's Eve one and stuff like that. And they're just mm-hmm. they're so gimmicky because the whole gimmick is that like we got all these famous people to be together. So not great, but it was a thing that like for a while every Christmas my mom and I would watch it and I had to stop that tradition because I can't watch it anymore because it's so bad. So another kind of European one, which I will talk about more in relation to high school rom-coms is The Prince and Me. This is an interesting one. It involves a a Dutch prince who, who moves to go to college in Wisconsin because he thinks there will be hot girls there. <laughs> and he meets a girl who's like kind of a a do-gooder and a... Oh! Have you seen this? I haven't seen it, but let me tell you a thing about how much Tumblr really likes gifts and screen grabs from this movie. Really? I think. Yeah, so he doesn't really reveal his full identity. And so they like fall for each other and then they she like ends up finding out that he's like a secret prince. And she gets mad, but then she's like, oh, I'm going to fly back to... Denmark. Yeah, thank you. Not Dutch. No. (laughs) Not Uh, Holland. I'm like, wait, nope, Danish. The other D, yeah. Danish. And so she flies over there and, like, surprises him. And then she's like, well, I guess I'm going to be a, like, future queen because he's going to become the king because there's, like, all this other stuff. And then there's some, like, pretty sweet, like, jewelry room scenes with, like, the big, um like, vault of jewelry. There's some dresses. The way it's explained on IMDb is, is his name Edvard? Mm-hmm. Edvard propo- proposes, Paige accepts, and he gives her a ring. <laughs> Only in Denmark, y'all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it also values the fact that she's, like, very driven academically and in her career, which is interesting because there's a whole like thing of like, well, if I'm the queen, I still want to do all these things in science and medicine. Yeah, she wants to do Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, so there's like some of those like inner struggles, which I don't know are like resolved in the best way possible, but they're at least discussed. So I'll give them some points for that. Mm -hmm. Some other like quick highlights, just friends, which is hilarious and really stands up over time. 500 Days of Summer. This was like it was a big deal when it came out because it was like a, a hipster indie, like serious romantic comedy that didn't have a happy ending. So it was a little edgy, but the soundtrack was really good and people were really into that. Yeah, this came out in like a cluster of other hipster movies that like really started that weird mass indie genre. So I would say it's like clumped in with Juno, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, yeah. which is under high school rom-coms. Uh, what's what's the one that's the comic book? Uh, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim versus the world, Zombieland, Adventureland, like a lot of these like hipstery, unconventional 
Look at you go. I'm so proud. I know things. You know well, things. So I, I know a thing about that genre because like the good hipster that I was at the time that all these were coming out, I didn't realize that being like indie hipster wasn't counterculture. I thought that was like the epitome of counterculture. Because if you think about it, my choices were either to like be a prep or shop at Hot Topic. And Hot Topic was owned by The Gap. So they're really the man. <laughs> oh my God. So I had very few choices to rebel against the society. And uh, hipster movies were gonna let me do that. So super into Juno. I had like a real, real brief flirtation with 500 Days of Summer. And then I kind of came to the same place that I think all of society came to with that movie. Another one that has had had some legs for me and is probably my, maybe my favorite movie of all time. I can attest to that. I would say that's probably true. Is Adventureland, which like, it, you have to get past Kristen Stewart and that's the biggest <laughs> burden and obstacle and it's not going to blow you away. <laughs> it's very smart. It's very well made. It's about the 80s and it looks like the 80s and it has like a nice look and feel to it. The soundtrack is good. And the story's also, it was relatable to me at the time. It's about like working a bad summer job and like the friends you make at bad summer jobs and like the relationships you have and all that stuff, which this came out in like, actually, what year did this come out? I'm going to Google. I think we were in college. Yeah. I think it was early college. 2009. That's what I was going to guess. So this was like after, this was like our freshman year of college in which we were definitely working bad summer jobs, or at least I was. So I felt like I could very much relate to this. And it's, it's just like sneakily funny. It has um, Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader in like a really great, great roles. Uh, And it's, it's just strong. And it does have a good 80s soundtrack that you can jam out to if you want to. This is one, like, we've been friends for nine years now. Yep. And this is, like, you know how with every person that you know, you feel like there's, like, a couple fundamental things that you need to experience with them in order to understand them. Adventureland yeah. is still one of those things that I haven't, like, experienced yet. And I feel like until I do, there will be a part of your personality that I just don't get. <laughs> I mean, that might be a little bit of a lot, but I understand. <laughs> you know, like, you know what I'm getting at. I do at. know what you're getting at. But let's talk about 13 going on 30, because that's on my list, and I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I watched 13 going on 30 for my homework. So by the time I got to watching this, I we had already had the conversation that was recorded in the last episodes where I was forced to accept that there are, there is a reason for dealing with the format like the bottom line there. So I sort of came into this one ready to take it at face value and accept it for what it is. And this one is interesting because I think it has all of the trappings of a rom-com in the sense that like this woman is still going on a journey of self-discovery and until she understands certain things about who she is and the choices that she's making in life, she can't fall in love. And then as soon as she realizes that she's living her life wrong, she falls in love with the person she was always meant to be with and he was right in front of her the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she gets the happiest ending of all where she gets to go back in time and fix the critical mistake that changed the course of the rest of her life. But it didn't feel to me as focused on the romantic love part. Like, I think there's a lot of other stuff going on for her. And then the guy that she falls in love with is kind of in the background standing as the symbol for all of the other things that she misjudged in her life. And I... I partially recommended this one to you for, like, the reason of we had talked about, like, other types of reasons for watching and other types of, like, love and 
things that are discussed mm-hmm. in these movies. And I said, like, there's a little bit more to this movie. Like, there's other life lessons to be drawn from it than just the, like, happy ending romantic storyline. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in it that is, it's all about, um, you know, she basically becomes a mean girl and then grows up to be an adult mean girl and her life is a flaming shit show because of it. And the bottom line is, like, you know, being cool and popular is meaningless if you're a bad person. And if you're a good person, then life turns out well. And it's interesting because it, it's it's a movie that I think stands up at 13 and at 30. Haha! <laughs> 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 ha. I kind of feel like I missed an opportunity by not seeing this when it came out when I was a teenager. Because... You know, I'm getting close to 30 here and have a slightly different perspective on the theme and the point of it all. But when I was 14, this came out in 2004, I, you know, as we all were, I was trying to figure out my my role in the social sphere. And I remember having all those tough conversations with my mom about, like, what it actually means to be popular and her saying literally that, like, it doesn't matter how popular you are if you're a shithead. Right. So I just, I think, I wish I could go back in time and see it as a teenager and then see it as an adult. I think there were definitely, like, relatable characters in it. Like, you Mm -hmm. knew someone who was kind of like her friend, both as the young version and in the adult version. You're like, oh, yeah. I had a really interesting gut check, too. I was going through the whole thing having these snarky thoughts about, like, oh, like, you don't fall in love with your childhood best friend. Like, it's, I hate all of these texts that are like, oh, fall in love as teenagers, you come back together as adults, you can get married, and like, Ugh. And then somewhere in the middle of that, it suddenly occurred to me that I met my husband when I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have that attitude. It's not allowed. It's not, it's not allowed. So that was also a game changer in how I interacted with this film. And he was literally guy next door also. <laughs> Like, you have no, nothing to back you up on that. Nothing at all. But I'm glad you saw some value in that movie. Yeah, I think, I think, like, the thing about, about rom-coms and, like, non-romantic movies that sort of fall in this, like, fluffy movie Venn diagram is that they're inherently didactic, like, they're inherently trying to teach you something, tend to be pretty heavy-handed because of that. Like, they don't succeed unless they get that thematic thing through to you. But this was one where... I guess just because of, like, life experience, I appreciated that quality. So what did you like the most and hate the most? I remember having read this many years ago, so it was great to actually see it in action, but Jennifer Garner is an incredible physical comedian, and, like, (laughs) I can't say enough about her (laughs) managing to, to act like a child. Right? She, there's like this one scene towards the end where she's talking to a group of 13-year-old girls in her building, and they're all wearing pajamas having like a slumber party together. And like, I suspended my disbelief. I completely forgot for a hot second that she was an adult. And so they're cutting back and forth from the shot of the 13-year-olds to the shot of her. And then at one point she stands up and I'm like, oh, wait, you're an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, this is wrong. (laughs) Like, wait a second. I remember what's going on here. (laughs) Um, She's just, she's an incredible actress. And I know a couple of people who really worshipped her for a period of time. And I think she deserves that. She's one of those actresses who I feel like did a lot of fluff roles and got discredited because of it. Yeah. But she was great in this movie. One thing that 
I had to sort of box up and set aside was that it kept driving me crazy that there were like these minor plot holes and like these spaces where there was no like character or context development. So like she shows up outside of her building the morning that she wakes up as a 30 year old and her friend picks her up and then her friend and all the people in the office are kind of like, oh, you're weird, but don't really acknowledge what's going on with her. Right. And like, I I was thinking about it when they first get in the car, The her friend uh, Lucy says to her, like, I'm your best friend, like, I would notice something or something like that. I had this thought, like, you would know, you would, like, not just move on with your days if I were, like, hungover, if I was wandering around being like, you're my best friend? Where am I? There, like, I was, I was in a department and I'd never been in before. You'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, but what if you're a shoddy friend? Which I guess, like, it came to me later that maybe, I don't think they did it on purpose, but it serves the point of that relationship well that they didn't sort of develop that plot hole or fix that plot hole. Yeah. Because it does drive the point home that Lucy is not a real friend. Yeah. Lucy's not actually there looking out for her. Right. That, I remember, like, the first time I watched that movie being thrown for this huge loop because I thought after that whole... Because you, you feel secure in, like, premise of all of these movies because that's what you're signed up for. And right. then they, like, got switched back into a 13-year-old and then... No, it was before that. Sorry. <laughs> she was an adult. But, like, he was still getting married. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait... But that's not how it's supposed to happen. Like, yep. And I had this, like, actual moment of panic of, like, oh, no. But then they, like, tr- switch back and everything's fine. Well, they did it. They did this time. So there's a time-traveling element in this movie, if you've never seen it. So she, on her 13th birthday, there's, like, wish powder. And she wishes she could be 30 because she's convinced after reading a magazine article that her life will be better when she's 30. 30 and flirty, right? 30 flirty and thriving. Yes. So she wakes up the next morning and she is indeed 30. And so the film starts in the 80s. She's 13 in the 80s and we're now in the mid 2000s. Yep. When she's 30. And so basically there was a time jump, except because of wish powder, I guess, time space continuum stuff. She is her 13 year old self with her 13 year old amount of knowledge and experience just in her 30 year old life. And I, if I had some time and space to play with theory, I might suggest that it wasn't really time shifting as much as like dream sequencing. Yeah. But whatever. So she goes through her whole life, her whole 30 year old couple days, figures some shit out, stuff happens, plot happens. She reunites with her teenage friend. Maddie! And then, <laughs> and then it turns out he's getting married and then he does actually like get married and so she's at, she is at the wedding on the wedding day and the wish powder comes back and she's having so many regrets and realizes that the moment that she turned Matt away at her 13th birthday party is the moment that she like made a choice about her life. It's like a fork in a road moment. Like yep. she could choose to be a good person and be an authentic person or she could choose to be a mean girl. And she made the choice to be the mean girl, and this is why her life is the way it is now. Then the wish powder comes out, and she goes back to her 13th birthday, and she opens her eyes in the closet and realizes that she's back at that fork in the road. And then she makes the opposite choice, and then they flash forward within the next five minutes to her at 30 again, and it's their wedding day, and they buy a house. And It's the dream house! 
It is the dream house. I oh. noticed that. <laughs> I thought oh, that was so very much. sweet. Also, her 13-year-old alter ego casting is really spot on. Yeah, really good kid casting. So yeah, I thought they handled the time shift really well. And I think they did a good job of capturing those moments because I don't think anyone would sit here and say that life is so cut and dry that you could point to the singular moment that the entire outcome of your life is different. Like I can point to a couple big moments where like some stuff would have been different, but it's not like the total fabric of space and time would have been different. Sure. So, you know, that aside, I think they did a good job of sort of encapsulating what it feels like to look back on those moments and think, oh, yeah, this, like, did change my relationships with people, and it was meaningful in who I am as a person. But I also think when I was a teenager, (laughs) which is going to sound really ridiculous, and I'm aware of it, I was obsessed with the idea of regret and whether or not I had regrets, because I didn't know the answer to it. (laughs) And the answer is that I had no life experience because I was 14. Right. So there's nothing to have regrets about. But teen comedies and teen movies talk about regret all the time. Yeah. So I feel like for a teenager watching this movie, it was like a very big picture, concrete way of dealing with life regret for someone with no life experience. Yeah. It's like the regret's going to hit you down the road when you turn out to be a bad person. So focus on that stuff now. So formative. So is this a rom-com that you would approve for your 13-year-old child? I guess. (laughs) Wow. More so than 500 Days of Summer. All right. So speaking of teenage children, shall we move to the high school rom-com category? All right. So there's a lot of high school rom-coms. I know I have not encapsulated them all here, but I believe I've pulled out a few gems. Some of the earliest ones that we should probably highlight. You've seen two out of three, which is pretty impressive. And I have a working knowledge of the third. You do. So it's Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, and Say Anything. Um, You could almost throw the the Breakfast Club on here and um, (laughs) Ferris Bueller and all those things, but those are a little bit more comedy comedy than romantic comedy. Ferris Bueller is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. It almost works. It, like, could work. So... Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles always kind of, like, merge together for me because the casting is almost the same. The storyline from my memory is also, like, pretty much the same. Yeah. So I have a lesser, like, knowledge of Pretty in Pink besides Ducky and how he's, like, kind of, like, the weird nerd who's trying to um, win over Molly Ringwald. And she's also trying to date, like, one of the cool kids at school, basically. Pretty standard high school drama. I remember more of Sixteen Candles, obviously, that it is her 16th birthday, and she wants to date, like, the cool guy at school, and she has a nerdy friend who always wants to, like, who basically, like, wants to date her and be her friend, and she kind of, like, ignores him. But in the end, I believe that's who she ends up with. Yeah. Well, because the thing in Sixteen Candles is that she feels like she is the neglected one in the family like everyone in the family gets more attention than her and everyone at school gets more attention than her and nothing ever goes well for her so that's the thing is like it's her 16th birthday and she wants it to be a big deal but there's all this other shit going on around her and so her family forgets her birthday and then there's like all these shenanigans and like funny things that happen and then you get to the end of the movie and that's where you get that iconic shot of her and the guys sitting on the dining room table with the cake in between them And the candles. Because he's the, yeah, the 16 candles. He's the only one who shows up to celebrate her 16th Mm -hmm. birthday. Great movie. Great times. The other one that I looped in here is Say Anything, directed by Cameron Crowe, not Russell (laughs) Crowe. 
worth noting. Um, <laughs> Aw, I miss Russell Crowe. <laughs> he's probably on the road with um, Russell the who? Hammond. <laughs> so, um, Say Anything is the one with the iconic shot of the boombox and what's that fucking song now i'm having a moment it's a song there's a song wait for it <laughs> didn't we ask our listeners to make a super cut it's in a, isn't it in say your anything eyes super cut it's a phil collins song but now i'm like having a moment that it might not be a phil collins song oh it might be that might have been the thing in that episode <laughs> yeah i know i had a moment in that episode too. yeah oh no yeah, it's in not your phil eyes. collins but it's it's, it's Peter, Peter Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. I was right about the name. I'll take half. Um, <laughs> half credit no partial course credit. I'm teaching. It's fine. <laughs> so this one is actually like in that transition between high school and college, but I'm saying it counts. So it's about John Cusack, who is kind of like, like an underachiever, and he is trying to date this girl who's like the valedictorian of their class, who um, is going to college, and... She um she ends up kind of like falling for him anyway, but then she her dad doesn't approve for a long time, so then he kind of has to win over her dad as well. Um, I don't have a lot of detail in that recap, but it's <laughs> really great. He wears a trench coat. He's also into like karate, which is interesting. There's a lot happening. I appreciate that in these in these films that there's either like the reserved nerdy girl who's undernoticed, the popular girl, or there's like one or two other tropes of women, but there's pretty much only one type of guy. Yeah. There's maybe two kinds. There's like the jockish guy who's like an underachiever, but is at least cool, maybe. And then there's like stoner guys. And nerdy guys. I guess there are nerdy guys. Yeah, the other piece of this is like her dad has been embezzling <laughs> and then ends up in prison, which like, it's like a weird little side storyline that's just worth mentioning because it's weird. But the 80s were fun. So moving on to more modern <laughs> times, 10 Things I Hate About You is a big one that surprises me you haven't seen, but it doesn't, I guess. I think um, I've seen part of it, but... Yeah, so this has um, Julia Stiles being the, like, really smart and doesn't have time for boys girl. Oh, this is the other one that Tumblr really loves. Yeah. She has a sister who isn't allowed to date until she dates, so basically she makes her get a boyfriend. It ends up being that she meets um, Heath Ledger, and they have a romantical time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's based on um a Shakespeare play. Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. So it's one of those that like was a big big deal in high school when you were reading Shakespeare because you'd be like, oh yeah, I do know this story. Which was convenient. <laughs> also features a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt and it's a good one. There's a scene, there's a, there's like a song scene in this one too. I feel like we should collect like all the song related scenes in these movies because there's so many good ones. Yeah, um, I agree. Someone make us that super cut. Someone make us that super cut. Could have the thriller and we'll, scene we'll give you from a grand gesture. Going on 30. There's just so many good things. I'm now looking for the song and I can't find it. This is the, <laughs> the story of this podcast is Kelsey Googling because I'm unprepared. <laughs> but anyway, it happens. In the early 2000s, there were like a couple movies like The Princess Diaries and Bend It Like Beckham that were very popular. Nothing like super mind-blowing about them. Bend It Like Beckham was about girls who played soccer, which... I know, like, a lot of the, my friends who were more, like, into sports were excited about, because that wasn't something you actually saw that often. And then there was this 
really nice package <laughs> of movies, and The Prince of Me falls into this, of, like, American and Europe movies, like, young teenage girl <laughs> in Europe movies. So, The Prince and Me, obviously, What a Girl Wants with Amanda Bynes is one that's of That's the one these. where she's, she's like, she dresses up like a boy for the whole movie, right? No, that's, um, she's the man. Oh, uh, I always get that mixed up. Also based on a Shakespeare movie and also should probably be in this list. <laughs> but, no, What a Girl Wants is when she finds out, I don't know if she finds out, like, who her long-lost father is. I think that's what it is. And so she goes to England to meet him. Just, like, surprisingly drops by unannounced, which is chill. <laughs> and he's, like, a he's like not, not fully royalty, but he's, like, up there. He's a politician running for office. Yeah, yeah. Google's a nice thing. <laughs> I'm better at it than you. And so he's engaged to this... I think he's engaged to this woman or married to this woman, and she has two daughters who are, like, mean girls. And then... So there's all these, like, shenanigans of, like, I'm in England, and she meets this guy who is a musician, and she meets him in a hostel, I think, but then, like, continues to hang out with him. And that's a whole thing. So anyway, <laughs> that's that movie. But it had a, <laughs> a counterpart that was very, very similar and more ridiculous, and I loved it, called Chasing Liberty, which starred Mandy Moore. <laughs> oh, Mandy Moore. And I'm going to kind of like skim through the cliff notes of this via Wikipedia because I need you to understand just how ridiculous this movie is if you have not seen it like Kirsty has not. Anna is the daughter of the President of the United States. After Secret Service agents ruin a first date, Anna demands less supervision. For his upcoming trip to Prague, the president agrees to assign only two agents to watch over Anna, whose Secret Service codename is Liberty. <laughs> In Prague... Anna and her friend attend a concert where Anna discovers numerous agents in the crowd. Believing her father has broken his promise, Anna eludes her protectors with her friend's help. Outside the theater, she asks Ben for a ride on his motorbike. Unknown to Anna, Ben is a Secret Service agent, and he informs the other Secret Service agents where she can be found. When the president learns of her behavior, he instructs Ben to guard Anna without revealing his true identity to give her the illusion of freedom with a guarantee of safety. Oh, no. So believing she is finally free, she goes skinny dipping, she watches an opera, she travels to a few different countries, they meet some random, like, pickpocketers and other humans. He basically kisses her to cover up her identity when they are in a romantic gondola ride. <laughs> <laughs> and she takes that to be a... A move, and then he rejects her like in seven different times where she's like, But you like me, and it gets really uncomfortable. So she runs away from him and she hitchhikes, and then he finds her at a bungee jumping on a bridge. So he has to bungee <laughs> jump with her romantically tied together. <laughs> and then eventually they spend the night together and fall in love. And then she finds out that he is a Secret Service agent, and she's upset, and she runs away again, and then he rescues her again. And then, eventually, she finds out that, like, this is now a year later or so when she's in college, and she finds out that he resigned from the Secret Service and is working as a photographer. And in London, during an exchange program to Oxford University, Anna visits Ben at the opera, where they kiss, reconcile, and escape on his motorbike. <laughs> Oh, thank God for that motorbike. So it's a real adventure. I want to spend a real hot second here on the cover art, which is... Let's talk about that cover art. <laughs> in the background. 
<laughs> it's the White House. <laughs> and then in the foreground is Mandy Moore with her leg over the leg of Matthew Good. Let's know her, her costuming, too. Yeah. Those cargo pants, man. Like, I would have killed for this outfit back in the day. Also, those flip-flops, like, you get it, girl. You get it. I would pay a studio good money to put one of their top billing actresses in rubber flip-flops on their next cover art. (laughs) My checkbook is ready for you. Come at me. (laughs) I highly recommend that you watch this movie because it's so amazing. (laughs) They're sitting on the edge of the reflecting pool, but the reflecting pool has been photoshopped onto the lawn of the White House. The reflecting pool goes in front of the White House. It's also at angles that are, like, not physically possible. (laughs) Defies the laws of physics. For what it's worth, Kelsey's note to me that I should watch it says, because it's ridiculous and involves a presidency. So apparently the way to my heart is through presidential fiction. And they go to Prague. (laughs) And they go to Prague. Which is just a cheap shot. We didn't mention the line on the cover art. Uh, (laughs) So underneath their romantical crisscross legs on the White House lawn reflecting pool, it says the tagline, every family has a rebel, even the first family. Oh, shit. Aw, shit, son. I really want to know, like, what Threecham would have done in this situation. Threecham! Threecham! <laughs> Threecham, Meecham! If anyone wants to Photoshop Meecham into this picture to make it a Threecham, <laughs> please do that and send it to us. You <laughs> guarantee your own romantic gesture. I might do it for us. <laughs> <laughs> Just have him knee deep in the reflecting <laughs> pool right behind Mandy Moore. Great job. Uh, please make that for us. Please, please make that. <laughs> you know, in our whole discussion of House of Cards, we never told our wonderful listeners about Three Chums. Oh, uh, we will. Okay. There is a new season coming out this Tuesday. We will get there. <laughs> The All ghost right. of Threecham Meacham past. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> um, so is there anything else you want to highlight about these categories or rom-coms in general or your ongoing education? So last episode, I summarized our conversation. Yeah. And I believe I boiled it down to to there being an evolution of like, instead of it just being like woman and man heteronormatively get married because capitalism to evolving through a series of steps of like woman is searching for self-realization and does it via heteronormative love with mediocre white man yeah but with the qualifier that there are some differentiations in like what each person is looking for and like how the relationship comes to be and whatever so i'm going to say i'm gonna leave rom-coms of your formative years aside for a hot second Sure. For high school rom-coms, it feels to me like during this period, there was a regression in some of the previous evolution. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm open to hearing that. But I feel like it became, and I actually have a pull quote from an article 
that will challenge me on this, but I feel like it became more of like a boy meets girl and they should be together. And maybe it's because high school rom-coms are targeting a younger audience. And so like when you're in high school, like your world is just small, like so that inherently limits the plots. I think high school in particular, with the exception of these weird European things, or maybe not, like their big focus, and I think we could put 13 going on 30 almost into this too, is about like the stereotypes that people get, especially at that age, and how it's, mm. you know, how that can affect your relationships in general. Um, there's a lot of like putting the, like, either the really bookish girl against the popular guy or the nerdy guy with the popular girl, you know, like those sorts of pairings. And they're usually meant to be unexpected. And I think they're trying to tell younger audiences about, you know, like not disregarding people who they may otherwise disregard because they may have something to offer them to. Yeah, I mean, this whole this whole series is a lot more about like learning how to treat your fellow human as opposed to just having like a focus on what romantic love means. Right. And it's often about like first love too and like what that means. Right. It does seem like a much more homogenous mix than than the foundational rom-coms did. And I know some of that is just about like span of time covered. Like foundational rom-coms covers the 1930s through these are modern times, whereas high school rom-coms is has a couple in the 80s and 90s, but is really focused in that, like, high tide of the mid-2000s. Yeah. The trend that I noticed in the rom-coms of Kelsey's formative years is that they oh seem God. to be... armchair psychology time! Armchair psychology! We should have a jingle for that. We should. Is that these seem to be a lot of stories about, like, learning how to love and, like, the function of love. I saw that a lot in 13 Going on 30, where she figured out, and it was mostly because she was immature, because she she was hanging out with a 30-year-old and psychologically she was 13, but she figured out from hanging out with Matt and having him re-explain their parting that, like, he was a kind and gentle human who really just, like, loved her and wanted to take care of her, and she was starting to understand, like, what that feels like. Mm-hmm as opposed to trying to find love via the popular people. 500 Days of Summer is a negative version of that lesson, but it's also about, like, learning how to love. Mm-hmm. I just think he he learned he has the wrong takeaways there (laughs) my impression of love actually is that based on the different types of relationships and different levels of health of relationships shown that there's like a little bit of that like there's some people that are toying with like really desperate unhealthy love and some people that have like some pretty broken love and some people who have like normal relationships Mm -hmm. is that right or are they all broken the message is that love actually is all around la 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 you're right though yes so so that was like and that's just going off of my like very minimal knowledge of the rest of the films on this list is it feels like there was a lesson around like what love functionally means and yeah. how to do it. Yeah, you're right. Even in the ones you haven't seen, that is a very true thing. I qualified that like that may sound obvious because I know that is a goal of rom-coms, but the difference to me is like a story like Sweet Home Alabama, which is like she was in love with a guy in New York. Like she she was about to marry a guy she loved very much. But what she learned by going back and meeting her first love is that she had picked the wrong life and she just wanted to change her lifestyle. And this guy was like the symbol of the lifestyle that she actually wanted when she reevaluated what was important to her. And so that's not like learning love. That's like changing your priorities. Right. That was a very acute observation. Why, thank you. I always thought I was a quick study. 
you are. <laughs> so next time, as a sneak preview that you've already heard before, probably, we're going to really hit the big long list of peak rom-coms in the rom-com Badlands. <laughs> I'll try to do my homework and bring the highlights. Kirstie will probably do some homework and watch one or two of these. And it'll yep. be great. Luckily, under peak rom-coms, I've seen a few of those. So yeah. the rom-com Badlands is definitely where I have some work to do. But I promise I will do that. So If you would like to suggest a Badlands movie that you would like Kirti to watch, I guarantee you she'll watch it. <laughs> it's true. I will always make time for listener suggestions. So find us on Twitter at HateWatchWithUs or at Gmail, uh, HateWatchWithUs at gmail.com. <laughs> Perfect. The other thing that we haven't said yet that has been live for a couple weeks and now is a good time for me to throw you under this bus, Kelsey. Oh, God. <laughs> we also have a website, which is HateWatchWithUs.tumblr.com. We said right? it last week. Well, I'm saying it again. All right. I haven't updated it in like a day. <laughs> but we will post at some point in time the f- the full list of all of these. I think as we get into some of these longer categories, especially next week's for Peak and Badlands, we're not going to be able to give synopsis of synopses of all of these. Unless you want to sit with us for a four-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> so those will be up on the Tumblr. Yeah. Or just send suggestions to us at Hate Watch with us. Perfect. So since we've been in the romantical mood, we're just going to keep on rolling. Let's talk about the time that we live in. (laughs) (laughs) These are modern times. These are summer times. These are summer times. So I'm sure it hasn't escaped most of y'all's notice that we're coming up hot on wedding season. I have been told by those who live in other regions of the country that wedding season is not necessarily a season. There are apparently some places where weddings happen in like a pretty fair amount through the whole year. We don't live in that world. We don't live in that world. We live in a world where people get married from May to early October and that's it. Yep. With the exception of the New Year's wedding. Yeah, the occasional New Year's wedding. The one thing I think all of us share, regardless of region, is definitely winter proposals. Mm-hmm. So y'all just got over that hump of like the winter and Valentine's Day proposals. But now we're coming in hot to the people who got engaged last winter and Valentine's Day and are now getting married. I also have seen a ton of engagements like in the past month. Oh, really? Tons. Yeah. This weekend alone, there were maybe like seven on Facebook. Oh, that's crazy. There was a really sharp drop off in engagements um, in March on my Facebook. So I don't know. I'm assuming that all of you listeners or most of you listeners are on Facebook and have experienced this phenomena. But where I get most of my anecdotal data is through randos of Facebook. Tell us about randos of Facebook. Yeah, this is the thing that you'll hear me talk about. It's it's essentially like people of Walmart, except... <laughs> It's randos of Facebook. And it all happened because Facebook has that stupid algorithm. You've all seen it where someone that you're friends with likes or comments or otherwise engages with a content item from someone that you have no connection to, no mutual friends or whatever. And in spite of all of that, it shows up in your feed. And so for me, that has manifested in me seeing a whole lot of shit that I would not have seen if Facebook only stuck to showing me my friends list. And I would just like to say, Mark Zuckerberg, if you were out there, I'm not friends with those people because I don't want to see their shit. So stop it. (laughs) I would also like to ask Mr. Zuckerberg why it's easier to get married than it is to claim a Facebook page because I had to get a letter, a statement notarized today to claim a Facebook page for my business. 
<laughs> Listen, Zach, we're having a lot of fun here, but if you ever want to come on our show and answer some questions, we'd really like to talk to you. Like so many questions. <laughs> I know you have a very busy schedule. Nobody's too busy for Hate Watch. <laughs> we're only hate watching your product. It's not a big deal. So yeah, I see a lot of my engagements and whatnot via randos of Facebook. So some human anywhere in literally the world will get engaged or married, and I get access to all of their pictures because of algorithms. Yay, algorithms! Yay! Yay, weddings! (laughs) Yay, weddings! So I'd like to also just say, in relation to randos of Facebook and weddings, that I think it's okay to hate watch other people's weddings if you're not saying it to their face, which may be a little mean girl, but it's (laughs) our podcast and we can say it. (laughs) But moment of real talk. If every single one of you out there, every single listener takes a second to reflect on your life, you gossip about people. Come on, you do it. We all do it. It's part of how, it's like a psychological thing. Humans have done it for all of society. It's part of how the frontal lobe absorbs and processes information. Like, the trick, as Kelsey said, is to not be a dick about it. So, like, keep it on the DL. Only talk to people you trust. Don't, like, if you were being a mean girl, you would say it to someone who you would guarantee would bring it back to the person who just got married and is just trying to live in their marital bliss. Like, I guarantee that someone was out there talking smack about my wedding. And you know what? I don't give a shit because I didn't buy them alcohol. They can go say whatever the fuck they want. (laughs) Keep your hate watching of weddings to your private Slack channels for a hate watching (laughs) wedding specifically like we do. It's normal. Uh, And if anybody asks who you can't trust, it looked like a lovely wedding and you're happy that the couple is happy and that's all you could ask for. Right. Is that happiness? It's also important to hate watch people's weddings, if especially if you are like me and have not planned your wedding yet, because then you learn what you like and don't like, and you can discuss it with people who will be important to your future wedding, like Kirstie is. Oh, <laughs> so that was actually critical for me. By the time that we started planning our wedding, I hadn't been to a single wedding ever, so I was literally planning blind. And then, uh, so we we got married in September. We had booked our venue in March, a year and a half before. I didn't go to my first wedding until, like, the May before. So by the time I went to my first wedding, I didn't have time to, like, change the course of the universe based on what I learned from attending an actual wedding. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I had to make a lot of choices just based on what I had learned from randos of Facebook, really. Now, I know I'm a little biased, but I think that I planned one hell of a shindig. You did. I think it was a worthwhile exercise. It was also a worthwhile exercise in friendship. <laughs> and I mean this this with all, all of the... <laughs> I mean this as nicely as I mean it mainly. (laughs) I mean it as nicely as I mean it. Um, That's one for the love story. It is. So in the months leading up to Kirstie's wedding, I spent literally all of my free time, and other other people helped as well, 
Kirstie spent a lot of time on this as well. Um, folding... Yeah, it's worth noting I was in the trenches with everybody. Oh, yeah. I spent time folding tissue paper into little accordions and tying <laughs> wire around them and making them into... Well, no, just stacking them in a box and transporting them. Yeah, we to didn't Vermont. fluff them until the day before. Right, so I transported them. That was a them different, like, six-hour ordeal. Yeah, I had like a probably like a thirteen by six foot tissue paper flower wall. So, and then we had tissue paper flowers around the rest of the venue. What did we estimate that we made like four hundred some odd? Yeah. So yeah. it came out great, and it was a work of friendship that everyone in the entire wedding party and randos to some degree, <laughs> sat around in a barn for a whole day unfluffing paper flowers and Literally, they up. all sat on the hardwood barn floor unfolding tissue paper flowers and then <laughs> hanging them. But that's what you do for romantical displays of affection and friendship. Yeah. This was one of those moments, and like I say this with all due respect to my husband, who I love very dearly, but it was one of those moments that really reinforced for me the importance of friend love over romantic love. Because like, my husband's getting a pretty sweet deal, as I am being his wife, in that like, we now get to go live life together and and do couple things, and that's the payoff. But like, (laughs) you know, you and I, you and I aren't buying a house together. Uh, You and I aren't like doing other stuff together. To make up for the fact that you had to make 600 paper flowers for me. So. <laughs> no, we just have a podcast. And no, a Slack a- channel. And our love story. <laughs> so. Yeah. So that, that's that's that one. <laughs> so anyway. Do you want to tell them about our coping strategy for wedding season that we'd like to propose? Wedding season tends to get people down. You may very well be one of those people. It seems to me that during wedding season, there's at least as many posts of a demeaning nature against wedding season as there are actual wedding posts. So it is clear that there are people out there who are mentally and emotionally bracing themselves for the barrage of wedding posts, and fair enough. But you gotta counteract that funk because there's nothing you can do about all them randos out there getting married and copulating. So... Because we're also getting into baby season, you know? Ugh. Aren't we ever? I've seen, in the last two months, I've seen, like, ten different randos posting pictures of their pregnancy tests. Yeah. So, that comes with wedding season sometimes. But we, last, last year, Kelsey and I created a game upon the engagements of a couple of people we were a few degrees removed from. And we call this game Fantasy Wedding League. Are you excited yet? (laughs) You guys are so excited. I can feel it through the microphone. Two weeks behind when you actually get excited. Right. It's like coming through the fabric of (laughs) space-time. So Fantasy Wedding League is essentially a drafting game for the impending wedding of the randos in your life. So it's structured, it's a point-based system structured around a series of categories, and those categories are drawn directly from different aspects of wedding planning. So Kelsey, I believe you have the categories written down. Yeah. So basically we made this on Pinterest. You can do this other ways, but Pinterest worked for us. We made a board. And we drafted the pin that best described our guests. We each made a we each made a secret board for our individual draft that was then revealed on the day of the wedding. Right. So before we, the wedding pictures went live. Exactly. So we had to find one pin that best embodied our guests for each of the following: the dress, headpiece, accessories, groomswear, bridesmaids and or groomsmen, centerpieces, floral, venue, 
bar menu, dessert, hairstyle, signage, or other random thing, <laughs> and statement decor piece. This is maybe something we should also put up on the Tumblr at some point. Oh, we will. For example, like under venue, um, for one of the drafts that we did, there's this one pin that goes around of like this particular hotel ballroom in Boston. And that was my draft for that wedding. And so on the day of the wedding, you share your boards. And as the pictures go live from the couple in the next couple days, it's usually there's enough pictures within a day or two to start scoring. Yeah. Then you would score who matched most closely. So in the case of the dress, if like you're looking for key details. So if you drafted a lace dress and the bride showed up in a satin like nightgown or in a sequin wedding dress, then you wouldn't get points. Right. But if the style and the cut was maybe similar, you could get right. points. Like if you picked a mermaid gown and it was a mermaid gown or whatever. Right. The funny thing about the one that we've piloted this for, um, <laughs> And this was someone who we both knew to a degree, so we had a little bit more knowledge than a total rando, but we didn't know anything about the wedding itself. We we both ended up drafting the exact same dress. <laughs> and the exact same floral, didn't we? I think so, yeah. There was something else where we picked literally, not even the same style, we picked the exact same picture off of Pinterest. <laughs> um, so that, that one was tight, because... We both came in. It, we almost tied. I can't remember who ultimately won, but we almost tied that one. We did. Yeah, it's super fun. It works with complete randos, but it's really best if it's someone who you're like a degree or two removed from because it's helpful to know enough about the couple to make some educated guesses about what their style and aesthetic is. Like there's a couple getting married in October and I only knew them for a month and that was almost four years ago. But they, I was able to guess from the moment they got engaged that they were going to have a hardcore Pinteresty, shabby chic barn wedding with like recycled lace table runners. And I'm not wrong. Oh wow! Based on the Facebook posts I've been seeing <laughs> oh, over the wow. last six months, so not my style barn wedding, but like the really intense, like overly DIY Pinterest version of barn wedding. Right. I had like a hybrid barn wedding where it was more like a less obviously DIY that just happens to be in a barn. Yeah. So it's helpful if you have enough background to like know what these people are somewhat about. I will warn you on Pinterest that once you've searched like fall floral for weddings, <laughs> it literally will never stop serving you other pins for fall floral at weddings or like burgundy dresses. I'm like, I don't want this. I just needed to research for my wedding. <laughs> yeah. It, your Pinterest is going to get real weird depending on how many weddings you choose to draft. I will say that I never used Pinterest to look for my own engagement ring, but I can still, just because of looking at wedding stuff in general and looking at other types of rings, I can't get Pinterest to stop showing me a majority of engagement rings. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> 
oh, the things we do for love. The ones that we really had to troubleshoot and are still working on solutions for are the bar menu and food menu. And the way that we chose to deal with it was you would pin like, or I chose to pin like pictures of the menu presentation. And then it was like, generally, what are we going for? Like, is it going to be a food truck wedding, a barbecue wedding? Is there going to be past hors d'oeuvres or stationary hors d'oeuvres? Is it going to be a buffet? Is there going to be a donut wall? Yeah. Are they going to do cake or are they going to do ice cream sandwiches? Like that kind of stuff. So it's pretty fun. We recommend you guys test it out. Tell us any changes that need to be made. It's a fluid league that can change over time. We're also willing to participate in your league. Yeah, we would definitely love to like get some shared boards going. If you can find a platform that's more effective than Pinterest, definitely feel free to hit us at Hate Watch with us. Basically, um, just talk to us we'll about anything that. ever. Guys, just play with us. Play with me. <laughs> I want to be your friend. <laughs> oh wow oh yeah so really in essence try not to be crabby about wedding season if you're not in the mood for weddings there are a lot of different ways to deal with it but if you're running out of ways to deal with it just play fantasy wedding league or hate hate watch it with us or your friends or just follow along with the rom-com education and focus on fantasy love in high-budget Hollywood films instead of fantasy love on Facebook with people who you went to high school with. Great idea. One of them lets you drink wine in your PJs. <laughs> That's all I really want in life. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, so hit us on all the channels. Look look for our posts on Tumblr with the rom-com education curriculum and the drafting rules for Fantasy Wedding League. Otherwise, we're just going to sit here waiting patiently for you to be our friends. (laughs) It's getting desperate, Kirstie. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone has to play with desperate love eventually. You're right. We're just in that time before the meet cute. (laughs) Oh my god, listeners, this could be our meet cute. Aww. Aww. Well, until the meet cute, we'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye. Goodbye. You know, at one point, uh, maybe not right in the lead up to my wedding, but at some point in my life, I thought I was going to ride into my wedding ceremony on horseback. (laughs) Stop.